Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. We could talk about this morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh, Happy, joyful, somber, serious Tuesday, right? All right, so praying for everybody who uh, is in the path of the hurricane, not only in the southeastern United States, but all the way up the coast. Um, Let me ask this one question this morning as we start. What's the worst thing you've ever done? My guess is something immediately came to mind. What's the worst thing you've ever done, um, and how many people know about it? What's the worst thing you've ever done, and how many people know about it? So I grew up in Tampa, and so um, my social media feed yesterday and actually over the weekend was um, alive with uh, concern for the Clark family. The the Clarks have a 17-year-old son whose name is Graham. And Graham uh, Clark is the Tampa teenager who prosecuted, he's 17 years old, who prosecutors say led the hacking ring, which was able to uh, shut down Twitter a few weeks ago. You remember those uh, blue check, all those verified accounts? Twitter shut them down for a period of time because uh, a number of very high profile accounts had been hacked, including former President uh, Barack Obama, current candidate for the presidency, Joe Biden. Jeff Bezos, I mean, a number of very high-profile accounts. Uh, so come to find out, uh, at least according to law enforcement, Graham Clark, who's a 17-year-old in Tampa, uh, led the hacking ring that uh, was able to send out false tweets on these accounts and collect, I don't know, something in the neighborhood of $100,000 in Bitcoin for their efforts. Graham uh, Graham's bail was set at $725,000, and the state attorney plans to try him as an adult. So let me say again, uh, you know, he's 17. If you haven't prayed for the parents of teenagers yet today or yet this week, um, let's do so. Let's also pray for teachers and school administrators and youth ministers and coaches and counselors and everybody in juvenile justice and foster care. Graham Clark missed half of a year of high school. He's now facing decades in jail for a federal offense that ultimately didn't harm anybody other than maybe cause Twitter a little egg on its face because it had employees who were so easily duped by a teenager with a cell phone. Uh, And I'm not making excuses here for bad behavior. What young Mr. Clark did was wrong. I suppose I'm wondering this morning about the punitive versus the redemptive approach to the prosecution of young offenders, particularly when their um, crimes are, well, creative, technological, And ultimately, I don't want to say only financial, because I know that real financial harm can be done by people doing such fraudulent things. But he didn't, you know, physically hurt anybody. So let's apply the mind of Christ here. 
Let's consider how we shall pray today for the Clark family. Let's consider how we should pray today for parents of teenagers everywhere trying to figure out how to keep their kids safe online and how to keep their creative teenagers busy in appropriate ways when school is out for such a long period of time. Let's pray today for youth pastors. Let's pray today for churches. Let's pray today for teachers and school administrators. Let's pray today for coaches and counselors. Let's pray today for churches within the reach of young people who have a lot of time and nowhere to go. And, well, frankly, you know, like many of us with a lot of idle time, we'll just conceive of new ways of doing evil all day long. I want you to consider today that there are families in juvenile court where you live. Wherever you live, there are families today in juvenile court. And there are some families facing the very real prospect that their children will be tried as adults. So who's ministering to them, and how are we, as people of hope, leaning into the issues of families which are broken by sin of so many kinds in our communities today? That's what's on my heart this morning. What's on yours? I'll be right back with Nick Pitts to talk about the headlines of the day. Nick Pitts. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. He tweets at J. Nick Pitts. Welcome back, sir. Why, hello, Carmen. Good morning. So great to be with you this morning. Good morning. One of your uh, fellow Texans. You're a Texan now, right? I can say that. Can oh, I say that? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm a, I, you know, there was a, a ri- original hesitancy because I wanted to say I was a Tennessean in Texas, <laughs> but now, you know, I'm, I'm, I've adopted it. I'm, I'm I just here. feel like once you're, once you're there did. and you get the boots, like, right, once you get your first pair of ropers, you're a Texan. Like, that's it. Oh, that's yeah. just, you're oh, yeah. in. Yeah. So, yeah, um, all right. So I was driving. I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna describe George W. Bush as your fellow Texan. Uh, so your fellow I, Texan. I, I, Right? Anytime That's I good. can be associated with that great American, uh, count me in. All right. So for people who missed it, uh, the former president offered a, a fairly brief message at the funeral of Congressman John Lewis. Um, and I would just like for you to just give us the highlights of, of what the former president said. President Bush, as has often been the case in his post-presidency, was just a source of grace and a harbinger of hope. Um, um, just losing an American icon like John Lewis, that though they have policy disagreements, um, President Bush just uh, buoyed the American spirit. If you were paying attention, if you got a chance to watch or read or listen to any anything that the three three former presidents, President Obama, President Bush, and former President Clinton offered at the funeral of John Lewis. And so speaking uh, on Thursday, President Bush said uh, Lewis, quote, believed in humanity and he believed in America, close quote. Uh, one of the lines that the Wall Street Journal highlighted was uh, Bush saying that we live in a better and nobler country today because of John Lewis and his abiding faith in the power of God and the power of democracy and in the power of love to lift us all to a higher ground. Um, as I read his remarks and watched some of them, some of the highlights as well, I was reminded of a, an anecdote um, that Yuval Levin, who served in Bush's White House, 
uh, said about President Bush. He said President Bush had this keen understanding of who needed what during, when they were in meetings in the White House. And so if, if an aide walked in and looked as though he was timid and he was really uh, having a difficult time understanding the gravity of the situation of being in the White House, President Bush would often uh, speak very kindly, encourage, lift the spirit of the person so that they would feel comfortable enough to speak into that moment. And then uh, if someone was feeling full of themselves and bravado, President Bush would, would kind of employ humor or some time, of, some time of ticking them down one notch tactic in order that they wouldn't suppress any of the other individuals and contributions that others in the room might have. And just a reminder how President Bush was just always so keenly understanding of the other person and how he wanted to do what was best for the group as a whole. And that really translated well in his remarks about uh, Representative John Lewis. I just encourage folks, if you, uh, if, you, if you have the time, make the time. It's, it's a short speech. It's definitely worth, um, worth listening to and considering. You can find it on YouTube. Um, all right. Hey, let's talk about uh, something really extraordinary that happened this week that some people may have missed. SpaceX uh, successfully made a trip to and from the International Space Station. And um, this is happening in, in, you know, frankly, the midst of larger conversations in the culture about apparently the fact that we have retrieved physical material from vehicles that were made not on the Earth so you can take this conversation anywhere you want. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that is great. Yes. So SpaceX, I mean, SpaceX, NASA astronauts, they've, they, they have come back after a two-month journey. It's the first time uh, astronauts launched in American soil uh, since the final space shuttle flight in 2011. And it was the first splashdown in 45 years. Uh, I watched the uh, Apollo 13. I wasn't I wasn't alive to watch uh, actual in person some of those Apollo missions, but I did watch Apollo 13 and was very reminiscent of that. And you know, you can't help but think how uh, you can't help but think about how how the impact of NASA upon the American imagination and the contributions that they make as they strive to explore further and further in space. And so it was fascinating. So without space travel, we wouldn't have camera phones, scratch-resistant lenses, CAT scans, LED lights, ear thermometers, memory foam, dust busters. I mean, freeze-dried food for those single individuals out there, <laughs> myself included, that don't know And campers, food. people who hike. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's so many contributions that they make. Um, but uh, you can't also help but think that now with the Navy and some of their recent news coming out about um, extraterrestrial life and uh, unidentified flying objects and some of the videos that have emerged now, can't help but think, I wonder if they were interacting or have saw anything more evidence about some of these UFOs that are uh, apparently out there as the Navy is talking about recently. I know. I, uh, it's pretty fascinating. We're definitely going to circle back around to this subject. Uh, hey, you and I just take a very brief break. I'm talking with Nick Pitts. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. We're covering some of the headlines of the day, bringing the mind of Christ to bear, and we'll be right back. I'm living in the pages where I need to stay, leaning on the promises to get me through each day. Continuing my conversation with Nick Pitts, you can follow him on Twitter at jnickpitts. Hits. Um, all right. Hey, let's talk about this Pew Research. Uh, it's called the Global God Divide. 
uh, available for those of you that want to check it out at pewresearch.org. I, I found this really fascinating, Nick. What jumps out at you uh, from this research? Yeah, I, again, I, I'm a huge numbers guy. I love some of the research that Pew puts out. And so just a, kind of an overview of kind of the main thrust of the research. This, uh, they found that across 34 countries, uh, spanning six continents, a median of 45% say it's necessary to believe in God to be moral and have good values. I I was yet again just reminded of just with prosperity, um, one of the research findings just had found that there, there isn't necessarily any more theology or proper theology, rightly. Um, so they found that, uh, what was it, uh, in the survey that individuals who tend to be more religious are more likely to consider religion to be a part of their lives are also more likely uh, than people in this survey who lived in advanced countries to say that belief in God is necessary to be moral. Essentially, uh, if you have a harder time in life with prosperity, you're less likely to believe in God. And it was just another reminder of man doesn't eat on bread alone, but sometimes when you can ably uh, have, have access to bread, uh, you're not as likely to believe in the bread of life. So when we talk about, um, I think it's been described as, you know, decadence, like, right, we are at this decadent yeah. stage of uh, of our own development as a nation or our own status as a nation, people, people living with such extraordinary wealth that they really have lost any sense of their dependence of, upon God or interdependence with others in terms of, you know, how this life ought to be lived. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, once you have your own uh, mega yacht, um, your contact with, you know, w- with what is moral and good, you know, you do this, this sense of losing compass or losing focus. And we've talked about decadence. You and I have talked about it. Ross Douthat has talked about it. We've talked about it with uh, recently with John Kingston. We've talked about it recently um, with uh, Cal Thomas. Um, decadence is really dangerous, and it's sort of the beginning of the downfall of a culture. That seems to be one of the things that this Pew Research actually reveals. Yeah, you know, the, I think one of the fascinating things that you see is that it just seems as though there used to be a day. So to kind of one of the things that I've just been kind of, I don't know, uh, quizzical on is Gene Twingius and a lot of research on this is that individuals just largely aren't uh, really asking questions anymore relative to religious uh, faith. And so she was taking GSS social service data, GSS data, and was indicating that individuals are praying less, they're going to church less, they're not they're not uh, giving to church, there's not even a desire to pray any, as much anymore as compared over the past 25 years. But there was only one uptick in, uh, one uptick that was most significant in kind of religious matters, and that was the belief that you're going to heaven. And so it mm. seems as though individuals are settled on the fact that, yeah, I, I think I've got it all settled right now. I've got all the, I've got this religion thing uh, uh, kind of nailed uh, as best I can understand it. But it's fascinating that they spend their entire life running away from God, but want to spend eternity with God. And so from a Christian perspective, then I'm, I'm, I'm kind of perplexed because I, then I look at what it means to be to exercise and utilize apologetics. And for a previous epoch, there used to be a day that you would just provide answers to the faith. Well, then what happens when individuals already think they ha- already have the right answers? 
then it requires us to shift our perspective to be a little less giving answers to the faith to individuals who already think they have the answers, but to ask better questions to help reveal to them that they may not have the right answers to the faith. Do you have a do you have a go to line in those conversations? My go to line um, generally when I'm when I'm with somebody uh, who is clearly clearly interested in going to heaven, but clearly not uh, in touch with with Jesus in terms of yeah. the way to get there. Um, my go to line is, hey, tell me more. Tell me more mm-hmm. about how you think that works or tell me more about what you think about heaven. Um, what do you have like a go to question or a go to line? Yeah. So, you know, being from Tennessee and uh, I was born in the same hospital that Kenny Chesney was. And so I'm often reminded of everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Uh, and so uh, one of my lines is kind of very similar. is like, so describe to me heaven, um, because from a Christian understanding, like I, I believe it to be true that uh, heaven is the presence of Jesus. Right. Like if that is. Uh, and if I if I don't enjoy him, if I don't love him, then why would I want to spend eternity with him? And so I, I'd be looking for what do you think of as heaven if you because more often than not, uh, they probably spent the first part of that conversation or harbor uh, kind of animosity or antagonism toward the church, which is the bride of Christ. And so uh, I, I want to figure out what is it heaven to them? And then, then second part is uh, how did they come to that understanding of what heaven is and what makes them want to go to heaven based on their preconception, their notion of what heaven is. Hey, if you're listening right now and you've never spent much time thinking about uh, what heaven is going to be like, let me encourage you to just go back through the Gospels and read every place where Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom mm-hmm. of God is like. It uh, gives you a great window into um, what what heaven is going to be like. Also, read what the prophets have to say, uh, their visions of, of heaven. Certainly read uh, Revelation and the descriptions there of what heaven is like. Um, uh, I'm thinking here about Randy Alcorn's book, Heaven, um, yeah, as, a yeah. pr- as a primer, maybe, for folks to turn to. Um, all right, you and I got to leave it right here, Nick. I mean, it's so good. You got to, do you, um, when you think about heaven, presence of Jesus, um, anything you want to add there as an invitation to folks today to become more interested in actually discovering what it's going to be like in the place where those of us who are saved in Christ are going to spend eternity. Yeah, one of the things I'm always captivated by is uh, Psalm 1611, is that in his presence is the fullness of joy. And i often reminded of uh, the Chambers quote that our sin is legitimate desires taken to illegitimate places. It's the reality that God has given us these legitimate desires to be satisfied and fulfilled in him. And all too often in this world, we settle for mud pies when we have been offered a vacation by the sea, according to C.S. Lewis. And so what can I do to understand the desires that God has placed inside of me and the glimmers of heaven that he's littered this world with? And how can I, as a Christian, make his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is here, uh, as, it are, as it is in heaven? And so I love that. I love that. Um, I'll highlight as well First Corinthians thirteen twelve. You know, there's this promise of of knowing fully, even as I am fully known. Like that's a part mm-hmm. of it for me yeah. too. I just I, I just yeah. can hardly wait, hardly wait. Mm-hmm. All right, hey Nick, thank you so much, brother. It's always great to catch up with you. You guys can find Nick Pitts uh, on Twitter at J Nick Pitts. He's also a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. We'll be right back. 
Okay, so discipleship is important. We recognize that it's a part of what Jesus commissions us to do as his followers go and make disciples. That's discipleship. Go and make disciples of all nations. And then we get a a plan for doing that, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them, teaching them, idea, to obey everything that I have commanded you. Great commission, right? Great commission. Um, But how is that happening? How are our kids, how are our congregations functionally, actually functionally being discipled today, right now in the United States of America? Aaron Earls is the online editor for Facts and Trends. He's joining me next to talk about who's really discipling your kids and your congregation. We'll be right back. All right, so what are you studying? What are you reading this summer? What are you working on? Where in the word are you? We have an, uh, a really great opportunity going on right now to open the Word of God with Colin Smith. It's called Open the Bible in 30 Days. You can discover comprehensive and engaging overview of all of the Bible, the entirety of Scripture, in, uh, in this 10 Keys to Unlocking the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. So it's a, it's a book we are giving away this August if you uh, are interested in entering to win one of these. Uh, just enter at MyFaithRadio.com. Again, it's Open the Bible in 30 Days, a way for you to engage with the entirety of the scriptures with Pastor Colin Smith. So go and register for that at MyFaithRadio.com. We'll be right back. When I was growing up, there was a lot of tension in our home. We spent many dinners around the table in frustrated silence. You know what that taught me about dealing with problems? Just avoid them. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. That lesson from my childhood wasn't the best one, but maybe you can relate. The higher the tension gets at home, the easier it is to check out, to stay quiet, or find some convenient distraction. Though it may seem like the easier route, it's doing more harm in the long run. Choose to talk about issues in the home, even when it's hard. Your proactive approach, asking questions, listening to the answer, and sticking with it will go a long way to relieving the tension in your home. When all else fails, moms and dads turn to Mark Gregston for help. Equip yourself with the wisdom you need to succeed at ParentingTodaysTeens.org. online editor for Facts and Trends. His name is Aaron Earls. You can find what we're talking about today at factsandtrends.net. Aaron, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks, Carmen. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Okay, so the American church has a discipleship problem. Uh, the article is, Who's Really Discipling Your Congregation? Um, let's, let's start with the problem. What is the problem of discipleship in the American church? Sure. I think when people... When, when pastors, church leaders think about discipleship problem, they think, oh, my people aren't being discipled. They, they look at all the ways they're not responding to Scripture, you know, not engaging in you know, acts that help them be discipled. But the issue is not that they're not being discipled, but they're being discipled in the wrong way and by the wrong people, the wrong sources. Um, instead of Scripture, 
people are turning toward other things, other facets, and not even realize that they're being discipled. Uh, I think part of the issue is we're being discipled at every moment of every day. We just don't realize what's doing this, the discipling of our heart in those ways. One of the ways I, I frequently frame this is, you know, somebody's teaching your kids. Somebody is leading your kid. Somebody exactly. is talking with your kid about sex, about identity, about marriage. Um, and if it's not you, and if it's not, uh, and it's not from a biblical or gospel centric worldview, trust me when I tell you somebody is discipling your kid, uh, is teaching your kid about those things, is talking with your kid about those things. That's exactly. the point that you're making in this piece, um, that really we have an entire, not just generation, but now successive generations who've really been discipled by Disney. Yes, I think Disney is one of the the kind of larger people who you know, is doing discipling of our generation. Um, I think if you look at it, it's an interesting piece in the Atlantic that was describing kind of a, a man. He's obviously he's not a believer, but he's going to Disney World in the middle of this pandemic. You know, and it's you kind of as the coronavirus rages outside. What, what does it look like in the happiest place on earth? But in the midst of that article, he describes um, going to the park on a Sunday and and there not being any kind of uh, you know, services, religious services there, but he sees a, a mom and dad with a cross tattoo and he looks at them and sees, um, you know, and, and starts thinking about kind of how they think through religion. And he, he has this kind of just super insightful paragraph that I don't, I don't know if he realizes how insightful it really is about discipleship, but he says, if you ask this, these parents, this couple, if you ask them about love, they'll tell you about beauty and the beast. If you ask them about growing old, they'll tell you about up. If you talk about overcoming adversity, they'll ask you, have you heard the good news about Aladdin? If enough of your imagination consists of stories like these authored or filtered through the Disney Corporation, then what Disney World is, where the narratives are ubiquitous and glorified, but a place to nourish your soul in a time of famine. And so, you know, you just think about how much we've been discipled by you know, not just Disney, but all the places that we, you know, get stories from and, and are entertained by how much that's doing discipling to our hearts and to, you know, to our, to our kids' hearts, to all the generation's hearts. Um, you know, it's, we, we don't think about those things when we sit down to watch, you know, a Disney movie, that discipleship is happening, but it's absolutely happening anytime we, you know, engage in stories in that way. Just imagine how different that is than, um, let's say, the prophet Jeremiah, right? Like, eat this word, right? <laughs> um, yes. You know, your words were found and I ate, right? Or, um, you know, or eating the scroll uh, in Ezekiel or um, or even Jesus, you know, talking about, you know, us feasting upon the word of God. You know, it's not, uh, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. People are feasting, they are eating, but they have substituted um all kinds of other good news and gospel, seemingly gospel narratives for the truth of the gospel. And we, we have not done a good job um, helping people filter um, and discern. And so I think the willingness to believe anything, and particularly to believe false teachers about what God has said, is a problem as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, at, at Facts and Trends, uh, we work closely with Life of Research, and Life of Research has done a ton of studies just looking at God's Word and kind of how we consume it or don't consume it. Uh, and, and so numerous studies by Life of Research demonstrated that reading and studying the Bible is the best predictor of spiritual health and growth. It's by far the most positive predictor of whether a child raised in the church actually remains in the church and, and becomes a practicing spiritually healthy Christian as an adult. When someone's in God's word, they can't help but be changed by it. But 
even with all those things there, and we all will say, yes, we agree with that. God's word is powerful. We, we agree with that. Yet, a life research found only 32% of churchgoers, not, not, we're not talking about Americans, we're talking about those who are regularly in church, only 32% say they spend time in the Bible daily. Around half say they, they're, they're in God's word once a week or less. And so you look at the people in the pews or whether you're attending virtually right now, um, you know, only half of those people are going to be in God's word on any given you know, day or any given week. Um, but even you know, more than that, look at uh, evangelicals. Another Life of Research survey found that uh, evangelicals are twice as likely to look at Facebook than their Bible on a given day. And so you know, that's doing discipling to us. When we look at our face, you know, our, our social media feeds, there are great things there. We can follow great people that can encourage us and, and keep us informed and all those things. But we're being discipled by that as well, you know, the way that it suits our needs and, and getting, you know, filtering out things we don't like and getting stuff that, you know, just defeats the narrative that we want to, you know, tell ourselves about ourselves or about the world. Uh, and so there are just numerous ways that we're being discipled by other sources and not by God's work because we're not spending time in it the way we should be. One of the things I frequently ask uh, here, uh, and I'll ask our listeners right now, um, is where in the Word are you today? Because if you are, if you think you're going to go out there and be in the world as an ambassador of the King and the Kingdom, and you have not been in the Word yet, you got no business going out there into the world if you have not yet been in the Word. So let me just uh, set up a very brief break here by asking that question. You can text me the answer at 877-933-2484. I am in Romans chapter 5. Those of you who follow me at reconnectwithcarmen.com already know that. Tilling the soil of Romans chapter 5. What uh, what soil are you tilling in the Word of God today in your own life? Let me know. Text me at 877-933-2484 while Aaron Earls and I take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about discipleship. You say come to Continuing my conversation with Aaron Earls, you can find him at factsandtrends.net. You can also find him on Twitter. He tweets at wardrobe door. Okay, clearly, clearly uh, uh, a hat tip to C.S. Lewis. Absolutely. One of the One most of your favorite authors? Paper, probably, uh, yes, just, you know, I read... Uh, and most of the stuff he's, he's written, try to, that's, you know, he's one of the reasons why, you know, this, this kind of story resonated with you, we, with me so much. When you think about the way that Lewis presented the faith, not just through, you know, nonfiction apologetic stories, but Lewis recognized just the impact that story and narrative can have on, on a person's life. And obviously, obviously he was a literature professor, so that impacted him in that way. But he was also one to Christ through a discussion of narrative and myth uh, with J.R. Tolkien, the author of Lord of the Rings. And so him seeing the power of story, um, he recognized that. And then, you know, when he's thinking how to, how can he best communicate the Christian faith, he talked about the reason why he moved into discussing stories like the Chronicles of Narnia is they have the ability to what he called sneak past the watchful dragons that prevent people from giving a fair hearing to Christianity. You know, that they, they have these defenses up. We don't want to hear about your faith and you know, you have all these these blocks that prevent them from having that discussion or hearing those those truths. But he saw stories a way to kind of sneak past those things and to to reveal truths in people's hearts and plant it deep in there without them even being aware that that was happening. And so Lewis saw the positive aspect of that 
but I don't think a lot of times we recognize kind of the negative aspect of that as well. Stories, you know, they 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 do. They sneak past our watchful dragons, even as Christians. You know, we view these stories and engage in these stories and don't think about what exactly is the message that's happening here. What are they really telling me about? you know, truth and about love and about happiness, about where I find joy and peace and contentment in this world. These stories, they, they sneak past those dragons and they, they, you know, they, they plan in our hearts and engage us to draw you know, either closer to Christ or further away from Christ. We just be aware that the impact that stories do have on our hearts. I want to take a brief moment here, Aaron, to celebrate that uh, lots of people are texting in where they are in the Word this morning. Barb is right. in Hebrews 10 to 13. Anne is doing a personal study of the book of James. Uh, Their church is currently studying 1 Timothy. Uh, We've got a listener who is in Isaiah 25, another who is doing uh, a daily walk study. Um, Let's see, this this morning my devotions uh, were in 1 Corinthians 8, 5 and 6, and Proverbs 22, 6. Paul is in Proverbs 4 and Psalms 22, 25. Uh, Jeff just wants to say, you're so right. You're so, he just really, there's lots of praise here from listener Jeff, uh, who also says he's reading through the book of Acts. That's what our family uh, reading is right now as well. And then, um, we've got a listener as well who is in second Corinthians chapter 10 and Patricia is logging on to say, uh, she's in first and second Kings. That's a, that's a, that's a tome, man. That's a, (laughs) so I, I have a, a, a child who's trying to learn, um, to spell the word chronicle. This is one of his summer re- summer words, and I keep pointing right. to the fact that there's two books in the Bible with that name, and he just looks at me like this is furrowed brow, like, I don't know what you're talking about. So <laughs> discipleship happens, like, all the time, and I think that's exactly. one of the things that your piece highlights. And again, just want to direct people to it. You can go to factsandtrends.net. You can read the whole piece. Who's really discipling your congregation? Great opportunity to surface this con- conversation um, with your pastor or others who teach at your church. Great opportunity to surface the conversation in your own family um, over a meal. Just talk about who's discipling us. What? Who are the voices we're listening to? Who got most of our time today or this week? Um, you know, where are we turning our ears? Who are we following on social media and where are they leading us? Who's following us and where are we leading them? All kinds of conversations about discipleship um, that we can have uh, just just based on what you've surfaced here, Aaron. So um, if you were to, I mean, this is a good diagnosis. If you were to give maybe a prescription, um, what would mm-hmm. what would it be? What would it look like? I think first step is, again, is to recognize the power of story. I think we look at, even with Scripture, like God's a storytelling God. Look at our Scriptures, and you various there's various estimates, but close to half of Scripture is narrative. You know, God recognizes the power that story has on our hearts. And so if we think about the way that Jesus taught, he didn't really tell us that God is loving. He told us about a father welcoming home a wayward son. He didn't tell us to love others, only that. He described a Samaritan man stopping to help the Jewish man that had been left for dead. And so we think about, story, we have to recognize that that God knows is powerful. He composed scripture, you know, in part through story. And to recognize that power of story and to look at the stories that are engaging our heart. Which stories are those? Uh, Is it the story of Disney? Is it the story of cable news? Is it the story of our social media feed? You know, or is it the story of scripture? Does does the, the story and grand narrative of scripture, you know, that, that, God became man that down the cross to give us salvation. Is that the story that really, you know, captivates our heart on a daily basis? And so just you know, kind of the, the, the most simplest fix for the discipleship problem is for people to be in God's word on a daily, regular basis and studying it and letting that story drive and narrate 
the things that they do and the acts they take, the attitudes they have. That's the solution to really the discipleship problem we have is to make sure that God's story is the story that's really driving our hearts. I, I love how you frame that and how you phrase it. Um, if I don't know the the great redemptive arc of the gospel narrative that's just spanning over all of history, if I don't understand that, then my perspective on my own story is flawed and my perspective on the stories around me um, is is flawed as well. And so really in order to understand myself, the the world I'm living in, what in the world I'm in the world to do, um, I really do need to have a grasp, a, a really healthy grasp of this very uh, big narrative of the gospel that God has set over all of redemptive history. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think kind of back to the the piece, there's a, you know, he brings up a lot about these these people turning to stories of Disney to help them, you know, communicate the idea of love about, you know, aging. What would it be if really, if our people in our church, if you ask them about love, they could point to, you know, Hosea and Gomer in the Old Testament and how that pictures Christ's love. Or if they, you know, if, if they think about growing old, they think about Abraham and how he trusts God's promises, even in his old age. You know, if they think about, you know, just this story of Aladdin and how, you know, this pauper became a prince and rescued the princess. What if instead they thought about the king who became a servant and rescued his bride? If the story of scripture was the one that really narrated you know, and, and dug deep into our hearts, that would really change how we think about everything. And so again, just the, the challenge is just to be in God's word and let that story be the one that really shapes who we are as individuals. Aaron, appreciate what you're doing uh, every day at Facts and Trends. I uh, appreciate you joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Again, the article is Who's Really Discipling Your Congregation? But you can also read it as Who's Really Discipling Your Kids or Who's Really Discipling You? It's at factsandtrends.net. Aaron, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Carmen. Blessings. We'll be right back. So sometimes we feel like we need somebody to help us understand what we're reading. We need somebody to help us read well. Um, I'm, I'm remembering here um, conversations we've had with Karen Swallow Pryor uh, and and how she is helping us, you know, read well. If you want a companion for the reading journey um, and reading great books, because there are books out there. There are stories out there that are reflective of the gospel uh, in ways that are, you know, poignant and uh, and helpful. And so I just want to encourage you, like, if you feel like I, I really like to read better things than I'm reading, um, in, in, you know, so I'm reading scripture, but I'd like to also read some great books, but I need a companion for that. Let me just uh, encourage you to check out what Karen Swallow Pryor is doing, um, walking alongside us uh, as we try to read great literature, but maybe we didn't go to great schools and learn how to do that. <laughs> That's just a confession here uh, on my own. All right. Um. And then thank you for those of you continuing to check in, sharing where you are in the Word of God. Uh, It looks like um, uh, we've got somebody that is in the book of Revelation this morning. Um, Patricia, excuse me, Patricia is studying James, uh, which she says is so relevant for the times in which we live. Um, So just want to encourage you to share your reflections about the Word of God with others. Like, let that 
be a part of the substance of your conversation today. People in the world are asking the question, I mean, whether or not they're asking it out loud in this way, people are asking the question, did God really say? Is is God really relevant? Does God really have a viewpoint on this? Is God really present? Is God of any influence uh, in what's happening right now? You are the ambassador of that king and that kingdom, and you are the one into whom the word of God has been planted in such a way that it has taken root. And you are now, um, you know, an outgrowth of the one who is the vine. You are a branch. And through you, God wants to not only produce an abundant harvest of righteousness for himself, he wants to send, you know, these these little tentacles of love out there into the world to influence others, that more and more people might come to know that uh, that he is real, that he is relevant, that his word is impactful, um, that his people sow peace and make peace, um, that, that, it, that yes, God has spoken. And because God has spoken, the world is different. It's different. Um, and so walk that storyline out into the world today. People are asking, whether or not they're asking it out loud, they are asking in their hearts and minds, uh, is God real? Does he care? Does he have any influence in this situation in my life? And you are the person that God is sending out there today to be his yes man. Yes, 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 yes. Everything in Christ. Uh, Everything in Christ is a yes. All right, we got a whole nother hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Stay tuned. I've got Well, I got uh, Jeff Barrows, and then I got Alistair McGrath. That's next on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.